think it probably goes to show that like no two cooks straight swims are the same. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to episode 172 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Rebecca Hollingsworth, uh, who's joining me from New Zealand. And Rebecca's recently just had a successful crossing of the Cook Strait. So welcome and congratulations. Uh, thank you. Great to be so, joining you. So this is, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big swim. It's, it's, I was reading your um, race or your write-up on the, on the swim. And it's, it's a 23K swim, but uh, took you 40 kilometers of swimming to get across it because of the tides. And um, can you give me a little bit of a background on, on the challenges of the swim? Because you look at that and think 23Ks, okay, it's a long distance, but um, how does it turn into 40Ks and, and what's that um, experience, experience like? Um, I think it probably goes to show that like no two cook straight swims are the same. So there was uh, a couple of swims uh, on the Tuesday before we did our swim. And I think they did about 10 kilometers less swimming than um, I did. Um, wow. But I think it, you just, the, the tides just do what they do. I don't think we were expecting the tides to be that strong. Um, but as soon as we hopped in, I think we covered about seven kilometers in that first hour. And we went like, directly south. And then we sort of got stuck swimming on the spot for like an hour and a half before we sort of like then moved north. So definitely not a straight line across that piece of water. Yeah. What did you think when you, when you saw that you'd, or you'd heard that you'd swum seven Ks in the first hour, were you thinking, oh, this is great. Or like you knew that that was the tides doing, you know, doing their thing. Oh, it was, it was quite fun. Like, and it was awesome that we were sort of going that quickly. Um, I think did you feel it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you do. Um, obviously, you don't know that you're going that fast, but um, when when Phil Phil did tell us, and um, you know, I was like secretly hoping that it was kind of pushing us quite the way across the strait, but it was just going south, really. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and what about uh, the the lead up to the swim? So you were planning to do the swim in around I think February, and um, you just didn't quite get a get a window for it. So then you had to continue your training for for another you know, month or month and a half and yeah how did you go mentally just keeping that training going over the time where um you know you just had to wait for another window yeah so um all my training i i sort of peaked around uh yeah, mid-january like did a lot of mileage over the christmas period um and we're doing some really big weeks then sort of 50k ish um, and then sort of tapered for sort of uh, Waitangi weekend, which in New Zealand sort of start of uh, February. That was when our window was. Um, and we're all like super excited to do the swim. And it looked like there was going to be a day that we could do it. And then like the, the afternoon, evening before the forecast had changed and the forecast was for the sea to be getting rough in the evening. So the swim was off. Um, and I think Phil at the time just said, oh, you just main, maintain the training, but don't do anything crazy, like not, not, don't do big stuff. And so um, to start with, I was fine, I think. I was sort of, you know, keeping it about probably about 30K weeks. Um, but then I sort of slowly like slack, slackened off a bit and it sort of ended up being quite an extended taper. Um, but and I was also back working at that time. So, you know, it's gets to be a bit of a chore a little bit going oh I've got to keep my training going um but you know not knowing when you're going to swim 
Yeah, oh, that's that's right. Like it's not um, it's not like you've booked a, an Ironman or booked Rottenest Channel or anything where you've got this set date. It's like you've just got to keep it keep it ticking over. And especially with like thirty k's, you know, it's, it's quite a few hours a week in the pool. It's um, and when you're doing that kind of training, it's more just for for distance than anything, isn't it? So it's like it, it, it can be a sort of boring, pretty boring way to to train in in many ways, where you just know you've got to do the the distance. Um. Oh, I try to mix it up a little bit. So, um, you know, try to like the pool stuff's quite good for getting your speed. Um, but I do like doing um, a good amount of uh, training in the ocean, um, especially those big weeks that are getting some fun ocean swims in. But I suppose when I'm working, um, I've got quite a bit of my training happening in the pool. And so, you know, doing more stuff in the pool than in the ocean sort of can get a bit tedious. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, you just gotta you gotta do it. And uh, I remember reading in your your write up that um, so you did a, a, a tandem swim, which is when someone you, you swim with someone else um, and hopefully going at the same speed, so that you can you, know, you both get across together, and so you've got the one sort of support crew. And um, what was that? Um, what was that sort of um, process like in terms of? training um and wanting to be at the same speed as the the other swimmer karina and um and then as you were doing the swim itself yeah so i'd i'd previously done a tandem so um me and another friend um did a tandem of lake topo um and that went really well like we were most we were pretty consistent um through that swim and so that gave me quite a lot of confidence to sort of uh, give it a go with karina because um, we're all we're all training together, so we sort of have a good idea of each other's pace. Um, I do remember though, quite early in the season, we um, we did a swimathon, and it kind of sort of stuck stuck out for me that oh, Karina's swimming quite a bit faster. <laughs> so I think she had sort of maintained a, a bigger mileage over over winter, and I was sort of probably a little bit late to the um, the training game um, this time round, um, and so. Um, I think there's not too much you can do about that, but they actually just get your training up. Um, and then with those big training weeks, we, we did a lot of swimming together. Um, so a lot of our big swims, you know, we, we tried to stick together. And I think that's, that's probably the best thing you can do to sort of try to swim consistently is actually do the training together. Yeah, definitely. That's what I found swimming or training for Rottnest was um, myself and a friend, Lysandra, we would do our big swims together in the bay here in Melbourne. And it was just like we'd swim side by side the whole way. Um, and that it takes your mind off things so much more than if you're doing it by yourself. Like it was it was easy doing you know, 10, 12, 15 kilometer um, training swims as we were getting closer to it. Whereas like you just didn't have to think about it. And then what about um, during the swim? itself um so i know that um you know about halfway across a bit over that um karina started to slow down and she was getting cold and that sort of thing before that was it easy was it do you feel like it was easier knowing that there was someone next to you swimming or you didn't really think about it um to be honest it was quite different to any of our training swims because um obviously when you're swimming in the harbor you don't have the swell and the and the conditions that you've got in the cook straight um and so I think near the start of the swim, actually, we were, I think Karina sort of got out ahead of me a little bit at the start. And, um, and then with the swell, it was quite hard swimming next to each other. Um, but I, I think we managed all right. And Phil could see both of us. So I think we're fine. 
Um, and then I suppose as we sort of got into a rhythm a little bit and it probably as the swell sort of died down a little bit, we were sort of better sort of swimming next to each other. Um, and then like you said, sort of in the, in the later part of the swim, um, she sort of started to drop her pace. Um, and to start with, I just thought, oh yeah, I might just be getting faster or something. Um, but yeah, as we sort of found out, you know, that was a sort of start of hypothermia, which was not, not a good thing. <laughs> No, no. It's in, and how did you, how did you go having to slow your pace? Did you start to get colder as a result, or like what were you thinking um, mentally as well in terms of, or was it just like, oh, I'm swimming pretty, pretty quick here? So um, I think that the last thing that we wanted to do was for me to slow my, my pace. Um, so I think Phil was quite conscious of that, and so what he got me doing was, um, so when Karina has slowed down quite a bit. Um, he got me sort of swimming out from the IRB and back. So I was sort of doing this zigzag. Um, I'm not sure for how long, probably at, I think at least an, an hour, sort of doing this zigzag across Cook Strait while Karina was sort of trying trying to keep me to the IRB. She wasn't doing a very good job of it at that point. But um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think if I'd slowed down, I would have I would have got cold. So it's kind of important when you're doing a tandem that um, you know you've got it, it does you got to think about those things, I suppose. Yeah. And, and what about, um, did you have to do any sort of cold adaptation in your training or that was all in the bay? Like you're swimming, no wetsuit and it was a similar temperature. Yeah. So I suppose uh, an advantage doing cook straight when you're a local is that you're sort of swimming in very similar water temperature. Um, and um, both me, me and Karina um, swam through the winter, not doing long stuff, kind of just, we do, we do a squad on a Sunday morning um, at the, the Freiburg pool, which is sort of next to the beach. Um, and then we'd sort of go out and do a short swim in the, in the harbour sort of after our squad session. So we were sort of regularly sort of getting in the sea over winter. Um, and then that sort of makes it quite easy sort of near the start of the season to start getting your mileage up in the sea and um, just being comfortable in the water. Um, Karina's actually better in the cold than me. So that's kind of, it took me a bit by surprise that she got hypothermia, but I think, you know, she, she's written up a bit of a, a blog and I think she sort of uh, thinks it might be related to her fueling on that swim. Yeah. And that's one of the things I can't remember who I was speaking to about it. It might've been um, uh, like a, a nutritionist, Tara Diversi, um, and she works with a lot of channel swimmers and that sort of thing. And um, one of the things that she said that surprised me was that, um, a lot of the times that when the body temperature drops, it's a result of, yeah, of not enough fuel or, or not the, the right um, type of fuel. And so, yeah, I, I didn't know that um, a couple of years ago before, um, before speaking to her. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big one. And um, what did you do fuel wise across the, the strait? How often were you fueling and what were you having? Um, so I, we had our first feed sort of after an hour. And then after that, it was, every half an hour um, and I, I feel like I've got a, a relatively good uh, plan um, for my feeding because based on a couple of my other big swims so after sort of swimming Lake Topo and I also did the SCAR series in um, um, Arizona um, in 2019 so I feel like I've practiced it a little bit um, I have like a I, I use like SIS uh, a, a sports drink and I feel like that's that's sort of the base of my fueling. Like most, when you're swimming, most of your uh, fuel needs to come from your drink, I think. Um, and then 
I think I was having gels roughly every every third feed, um, less often than Topol because I think we overdid it in Topol. Um, <laughs> I think me and me and Bree were having gels every second, and it's like after a while we're like, no, please, no more gels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think I just had a random collection of. Um, snacky things that I kind of just left it up to fill to sort of just like give me some like snakes <laughs> like lollies um, or uh, I think we had like some peanut butter sandwiches um, I, I did one thing I did learn is that what works well in a lake doesn't necessarily work well in the sea um, so like we had some snack balls like you know little foosball things um, and they were just like too dry and solid <laughs> Oh, really? Um, yeah. Out in the straight. Um, maybe because it wasn't a hot day, so I hadn't really softened. Um, and also, like in the lake, if you can kind of dunk your sandwiches in the lake and sort of eat them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't really do that in the sea. So I was sort of trying to, like, I think I, when I had my. Yeah, that's a pretty nasty I just, sandwich. I just used my sports drink so to wash my sandwich down, and it was kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And so you, you feel like the, because your mouth would be so dry from the salt water anyway. That it was that was part of the reason why those snack balls were a bit harder to to get down as well. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Just the salt dynamics quite different, I think. And I after after the swim, I think after the lake swim, I felt like salty stuff. And after the swim, I just like I demolished like a, nearly a container of lollies. <laughs> <laughs> so like went sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, that's interesting. And I think near the end of the swim as well. Um, so I finished after 11 o'clock at night. So I was sort of swimming quite a lot in the dark. Um, and I think Phil sort of made the call that it was probably better to keep me swimming than to stop me too often for feed. So I like barely fed mm. in the last three hours. And so I was also very hungry when I got on the boat. So he was like, oh. I know a lot of Cat, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to judge you for that. You've, uh, <laughs> you, you deserved it at the end of a, uh, a long swim like that. Jeez. And, um, and what about afterwards? So how long did it take you to, um, cause I contacted you not too long after this swim, I think. And, um, uh, and you said like, I'm, like I'm, I'd like to do the podcast. I'm just still sort of collecting my thoughts and, um, yeah. And just like winding down from the swim. So what was, um, yeah, what happened, what was that, um, like for you a few days afterwards and a few weeks afterwards? Um, I feel like my, so after Taupo, I, I, so Taupo's in um, the middle of New Zealand, sort of 40k freshwater swim. And that was, I think, my first big, big swim. And so I feel like the recovery after that swim um, it was probably more about my body. Um, I feel like it was a lot more like, took a more physical toll on me. So this time around, I feel I, it was probably less of a physical toll. I, I was actually feeling quite good after a few days. I was sort of feeling a bit recovered. Um, but I think it kind of took a bit of a, a mental toll. Like you kind of have to, like your brain just tries to process everything that happens. Um, and so you just like have to, you like re, relive, I guess, your, the swim over and over again. Like you try to just process, oh, wait, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Um, and also, I, I think also because the swim was so eventful, like it was so unexpected, I wasn't expecting to be out there for 12 hours. Um, <laughs> and like what were you expecting how, how long were you thinking or planning on oh uh, i think eight, around eight hours 
Like, yeah, I, right, I think that's a lot longer. If we'd it? got a normal, like, I don't think there is normal in the Cook Strait, but if we'd got one of the friendlier <laughs> days in the Cook Strait, I, I yeah. think it would have been more eight hours. Um, so I think just lots happened in that swim. Um, and so I think, you, you know, you, your brain kind of just needs to process it and then you also find yourself like having to catch up on sleep and, and whatnot. So it, that was probably more the recovery for me, <laughs> just getting, getting my head around it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, John, um, John Hancock, um, who I had on the previous podcast, he, he kind of spoke about a similar thing. It's like, yeah, physically he was pretty good after his, his lake swim. Um, but it's more the, it's more the mental side of things that, um, that you really have to be mindful of, um, uh, yeah, look, looking out for. And, uh, especially when it is such a, um, like such a, a, a big day and longer than what you had planned and, um, yeah, and, and sort of things not um, not going to, to plan as, as well as you, you would like in terms of conditions and all that sort of stuff. Like it's, uh, it can certainly be a lot to, to process. So what, how are you, you now a few weeks after the swim? Because um, one of the things that John mentioned that um, he'd heard um, coaches and athletes talk about is the, um, like the mental come down after a big, big event like that. And you've done a, quite a few big swims as well. Um, have you experienced that? Yeah, that, that sort of downward part of it, and um, and where you're at at the moment with it. Um, I think I'm pretty good on that side of things. Um, I I've only really been doing um, short little swims, but I'm going to go up and do go up to Auckland and do the Rangitoto swim this weekend as a bit of a end of season sort of um, sort of fun swim. Um, I think it helps that I have other swims sort of in my sort of future um so I, this wasn't like the be all end all um although my next swim is planning to be the english channel so i don't actually know <laughs> if i'll even get to actually get overseas for that um <laughs> but hopefully that's next year um i think that it's probably harder after topol because um i think so the topol swim was end of january and i, I had this idea that um I would have chill out for a little bit and then just do some fun swims at the end of the season, like sort of go up and do like the marathon swim in Auckland. Um, but then COVID hit and then all of a sudden it's like, you can't do any swimming. <laughs> so mm. we had quite a hard lockdown. It was like five weeks of no swimming. Um, and so I think it sort of went from, I've done this really big swim to actually I'm not allowed to swim. <laughs> Yeah. And so I think that sort of hit me quite like more of a shock than what like what COVID might have been otherwise. Um, so yeah, but I I feel like I've done a few big swims now that I, I don't think I'll have that big come down. But you never know. I've still got it's only three weeks from the swim now. Yeah. <laughs> oh look, I hope you uh, I hope you don't go through it. Um, and it's I mean the one of the positive things about um, like you, you got to do the swim is that um, with Phil, who was the um, support over there and um, with, with all the boats and everything, like it, it's it's a swim that's just booked up for like, it was like three years ahead or four years ahead or something like there's so much demand to do the Cook Strait now that's part of the um, the Ocean 7 series um, that it's like, it, it's almost impossible for yeah, the Kiwis to jump in and, and do it. And um, and that's, I guess, one of the benefits of having um, no, no outside visitors to New Zealand at the moment is uh, there was windows for Kiwis to do the lake swim and to do Cook Strait. 
and um, so you managed to to secure it. And was this something that you were prior to COVID that you had thought about or were planning? Um, I I kind of had it as my I'll do it one day list. Um, so not that I have lists, um, but you know it was in the back of my mind that oh one Mental day I'll do the cook straight. Yeah. I need I need to do the cook straight so I get the freedom of the fairies. So that's the, if you swim the cook straight, you don't have to pay for the ferry over to South Island. So <laughs> is that really a thing? Yeah, it is a thing. That's <laughs> awesome. I had no idea. Most, most of the people who get it, international people who have no interest in using it. Um, yeah. Um, so I kind of knew that I wanted to do it one day, but um, yeah, logistically, it's, um, I knew that, you know, Phil's always busy. And if I did do it, I'd be with on a season where I had to be a floater, sort of just like prepared to go at sort of any time. Um, so I wasn't in a big rush. So when COVID came about, it was probably more opportunistic. Um, I'm no, I had to delay, I was going to go to the, do my English channel in 2021, um, but I pushed that out a year. So by pushing that out, um, I decided to, oh, I've got to have another goal there. Um, so Cook Straight was quite a good goal. Um, and then sort of Karina was quite, so Karina was on the support crew for um, the Topol swim that I did. And so she was kind of, she got kind of motivated by being on the support crew. And I think she was like, oh yeah, I'm quite keen to cook straight too. <laughs> so we're having those conversations. Like, oh, I wonder if Phil will take a tandem on cook straight. So we sort of tested it out and um, yeah, he took us, but I'm not sure if he'll take another tandem. <laughs> so was that the first tandem across the, the straight? I think there's been others, but um, I think he's just generally a bit reluctant because I, I think what our swim shows is even if you have quite similar pace swimmers, you know, stuff can happen. Yeah. And then you've got Phil having to look out for two swimmers, not one. And I think it just sort of, it's a bit more of a handful for him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a big, um, it's a big, well, responsibility um, with what, you know, with what can happen in the, in the cold sea. And um and when people push themselves to the extremes of what they're physically capable as well. So um, he's, he's such a good person to have in your corner um, doing that sort of stuff. Um, so there's no one who, no, no one else would trust more than Phil to look out for, for that stuff. And he says it how it is as well, which is, which is great. And um, reading in your write up too, that um, he, the way that he, you think he got your, he motivated you a bit to maybe ramp up your training or, or ramp up your speed was he said um, something about like being able to swim four kilometers an hour for, for the, the cook straight. Um, yeah. Can you talk a bit about that, like that offhanded comment, oh. but um, it was probably strategic on his part. Oh yeah. So we met up before Christmas um, and he sort of, Oh yeah, this is how the swim's going to go. Um, you know, you got to swim 4k an hour and, <laughs> And I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, I'm not a 4K an hour swimmer. This, I think he's got this a bit wrong. <laughs> um, but it sort of, you know, laid out a good bit of a challenge for our training to go, okay, well, this is the speed we've got to try hit. Um, and so I think I did, um, I did actually increase my pace, I think, in all that, doing that, that training. Um, and sort of, yeah, it was a good sort of motivator, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, well, thank, thanks very much for um, jumping on the podcast and sharing sharing this. And um, I think we've probably had, I'm thinking in terms of guests, like maybe majority um, New Zealanders like yourself, um, we've had a lot of um, yeah, New Zealand guests talking about these sorts of swims. And it's um, 
it's just a, it's such a good swimming community over there. And, um, and the fact that you're able to successfully swim across the Cook Strait is uh, no small achievement because it's such a, like a you know, 23K, um, but the, there's so much water moving through there. You get all the swells going through. It's a, it's a pretty tumultuous um, piece, of, piece of water. And um, what I would like, what I love sort of seeing or looking at is when you look on a map and you can point, oh, I've swum from here to here. Um, like it's a, it's a pretty cool achievement. And um, one of the ones that I did, which is a short swim, and it's not, not necessarily a hard one, but um, there's the Port Phillip Bay. There's the entrance there um, to the bay in Melbourne. And um, one of the swims that um, a friend of mine, Grant Seeley, runs is called the Rip Swim. So it's like a, I think it's maybe 3K across um, across the heads there. And it's like, it's one of the most dangerous um, like shipping stretches in, in the world in terms of um, you know, ships, um, I don't know, having... Um, going off course and that sort of thing. So it, I look at that on the map and go, oh, that's awesome. I swam from there to there across these two heads. Um, but it pales in comparison to looking at the two islands in New Zealand going, I swam from there to there. So um, yeah, yeah. It's, congratulations it's quite, on that. It's quite funny because um, with our route, we, we ended up going as far north as these little islands called the Brothers. Um, and so most people don't know about the Brothers unless they know about the Cook Strait. And um, one of my work colleagues is often out in the Cook Strait. And when she found out that we went to the brothers, she sort of went home, <laughs> told her husband, like, they went to the brothers. Because <laughs> they, apparently they're quite notorious. Like she doesn't even go there in her boat. <laughs> really? Oh my and so God. I, now I can look at the map and go, we went all the way up to those islands. <laughs> yeah. Two, yeah, two for one. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I did see that island on the, um, on the, the course map that you had. Um, I wasn't sure what they are uh, or, or what, what they were, but, um, and you got there in what probably a uh, pretty short amount of time by the look of it with, um, with the tide going there. But I mean, you probably look out to see and see the brothers and go, oh, man, that's a, that's a long way already to, um, to swim. And then you only had another 30 something case to go. Oh, that was, um, that was probably three quarters in the brothers. So that was, um, Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So I was looking at the the other direction. Yeah, it was the northernmost part. So we kind of went south first, and then the northernmost part of our route was the brothers, and then it kind of got dark after that. And then we sort of went yeah, to gotcha. Island. Yeah, well, I went to South. Oh, Island. cool. Karina hopped out then. <laughs> well, um, thanks again for being on the podcast, and uh, yeah, good luck for whatever the next adventure is for you. And well, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm sure people listening to this are uh, thinking you're probably crazy, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, a lot of people who probably want to do something just as crazy. So yeah, um, yeah thanks again and well done. Cool, thank you. Lovely to um, talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.